0: Welcome to the Fabric Podcast, where we explore company culture and how it scales as a company grows. Brought to you by the team at The Receptionist, a bootstrapped Denver-based software company. Each episode of Fabric will set out to uncover unique and uncommon answers to the question, how do companies of any size create a culture and core values that employees actually live out? On this episode of the podcast, we're joined by a guest, Leanne Davey. Leanne is a consultant, speaker, and author, and she calls herself a teamwork doctor. She talks to us about the idea of respectful conflict at work and how to handle what she refers to as tension in productive ways. She gives really actionable tips for how to be a better communicator. And you may be surprised, but many of us are probably missing a really critical piece of effective communication. This one will be a game changer in and out of the office. Enjoy the episode. I'm so excited to have a guest on today. Leanne, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sarah. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So let's start with sharing
1: a little bit about yourself and your work. Yeah, absolutely. So people kind of call me the teamwork doctor because by background, I have a PhD in organizational psychology and I work with executive teams on how to make happier, healthier, and productive organizations.
0: I love that, and that's such a good phrase, teamwork doctor. But dive in a little bit more and tell us kind of what what that actually means.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it means that um, when we need to accomplish things together, which is pretty much everything we do these days, it's challenging and it's hard to get aligned. It's hard to get to a shared set of priorities. It's hard to deal with personalities and different styles. So, I spend uh, all my time helping people deal with the messy people issues. So primarily two topics. How do we get clear on what's the most important work that we can be paying attention to and and what do we need to do? And then, what is the trust and the communication and the candor and the productive conflict that's going to make sure that when we know what we have to do, that we know how to do it in a way that's most, effective and efficient and the least painful. Um, So I work with executive teams. I work with, you know, groups of leaders. And then my writing and my speaking is to really take these messages to everybody in the organization to help them make work a more meaningful part of their lives, because, you know, we all deserve that. We deserve to have that eight or 10 or 12 hours a day be a positive contribution to our lives.
0: Absolutely. Now I'm wondering when you're brought in to be this teamwork doctor, is this more proactive or is it more reactive to situations that are happening?
1: I have gradually over time shifted to being more and more proactive because one of the things I've learned is that once people have violated one another's trust, it can be incredibly difficult to get it back. So I still occasionally get called in to kind of wheel a team into the OR and crack them open. It does, it does happen when they're desperately ill, code blue. But these days, more often than not, I, I seek out teams who are you know ambitious and courageous and, and willing to do the hard things up front to make sure that their teams kind of stay on track.
0: Absolutely. I think people are probably thinking, oh yeah, it would be much better to bring the doctor in
1: before things get out of control
0: than kind of the emergency situation.
1: Yeah. I I used to use the metaphor of like Dr. Oz and Dr. Oz (laughs) was a cardiac surgeon. And I think he probably had to see a lot of patients die on the table and before he got really fed up and decided that he needed to have a magazine and have a show and talk about wellness. So Yeah. I I still do that. I'm still the team surgeon sometimes, but I'd much rather be the kind of doctor that helps you to to stay well. Yeah.
0: And what are some of the typical conflicts that you help with, especially in today's business landscape? I mean, a lot of people haven't even been in the same room as their coworkers in quite a while. So, so what are you helping with these days?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. People think when they hear that that's the work that I do, that I'm going to spend a lot of time dealing with trust issues and people who are angry at one another or have thrown each other under the bus or any of those sorts of things. And while there's some of that, the vast majority of the issues that we don't do a good job resolving are the issues about alignment. So the, the relative, you know, how, how badly uh, we suck at setting priorities. <laughs> it is is a huge problem. We we actually I always say people are great at setting priorities. They just aren't good at deprioritizing anything. So all of a sudden you have ten priorities, and if you have ten priorities, you have no priorities. So one of the big challenges and issues that I spend a lot of time on is helping people to get to a much shorter list of priorities. Getting people from different teams realizing that we have to share a common set of priorities as opposed to each having our own because it turns out that the most common source of trust issues on teams is actually that we didn't get aligned in the first place and sometimes that sort of big issues around alignment like the company has 17 priorities Um, sometimes it's really small things like we have so many meetings and we tend to kind of rush out of a meeting without taking a moment to say what did we all agree to who's doing what, by when, for whom. And when we rush out of a meeting without what I call sticking the landing, then if I don't do the thing you thought I was going to do, suddenly you don't trust me. But really, it was just that we were never aligned in the first place. We weren't clear on our expectations. So a lot of things that seem like trust issues are actually where communication is broken down. Uh, where we never got on the same page in the first place. So those are the kinds of issues, a little bit of just pure trust, like somebody's nasty or they get caught gossiping, but a lot of work around how do we all come to the same expectation of what we have to deliver for one another?
0: Yeah. As you were talking about this sort of misalignment, the idea of communication came to mind for me, which I'm glad you mentioned because (laughs) that seems like that can easily fall apart. So. Can you talk a little bit more about maybe how you're helping teams with a communication specifically?
1: Yeah. So the biggest thing is just a, a line from my book, The Good Fight, which is, I think a lot of people think they can communicate to someone. And you hear that language a lot. Like, who are you communicating to? And it turns out that the Latin root for the word communication is the word commune or commune. And that means to make common. And so telling people, helping them understand that it's not possible to communicate to someone. By definition, you cannot make common with yourself. That's the sound of one hand clapping. Um, You can only communicate with someone. Communication is a two-way street. So you can send an email and check off something on your to-do list, thinking that you've communicated, but you have not communicated. You have transmitted a message. And just that very thought, when I say that to people, they just kind of go,
0: whoa, <laughs>
1: like, I, I just, I, I often think I've communicated when I've transmitted, but really if I haven't made common yet, if we haven't both, you know, done enough testing to realize we're at the same place, we have a shared expectation, then we haven't actually communicated. So there's a lot of work you can do just helping people. I work a lot on listening skills. That's a big piece. Uh, I work on some meeting hygiene around what are some techniques that we can use to stick the landings in our meetings and make sure we're getting aligned. There's a lot of techniques once you get there, but the biggest thing is just kind of blowing people's brains with this idea that you cannot communicate alone. It's not possible.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think everything starts with building awareness, right? Before you can make change. And I think you've probably brought some awareness to maybe... (laughs) where some of the challenges start. So I'm, I'm glad. Now, one of the topics I wanted to talk about today is this idea of conflict. And I think conflict also relates to communication and people tend to shy away from conflict in any scenario, but I think especially in work. So can you talk to us about the concept of respectful
1: conflict at work? Yeah. So conflict is inevitable at work. Conflict is part of the job at work. And and the reason is that conflict is just the struggle between incompatible and opposing needs and wishes and demands. And most of us have 10 of those before 10 (laughs) a.m. There are just things we're all trying to accomplish with too few resources, too little time. And that means we have to make trade-offs that means we have to you know look at a plan and spot a gap or a risk or an assumption in the plan we have to tell somebody that their presentation isn't kind of landing as well as they thought it was so conflict is a given in organizations so the first thing we have to do is just realize that it's a given and it's important the second thing we have to do is start to frame up our conflict in terms of what's the benefit of the conflict and i do that by helping people understand that you know, if we're getting paid, there's a job we're there to do. There's probably expertise and experience we're being paid to bring to the table. There's probably a, a unique set of stakeholders we represent that are maybe different than, than our colleagues sitting around the table. And because of that, there are tensions that we're obliged to put on our conversations. So I really uh, default to using that word. I love the word tension as the definition of healthy conflict because tension stretches us. It makes things bigger, and that's a really great thing. But the, what we, the unhealthy, disrespectful kind of conflict I refer to as friction, and that's the kind of conflict that wears us down, and it may wear us down because we're not listening to one another, or the issue becomes personal, or somebody's using all sorts of judgment and there's nothing tangible or objective that you can do to make it better. So, conflict first idea conflict is inevitable. It's non negotiable. It's just a given. It's how organizations work. It's not a bad thing. But if we're going to keep conflict productive, we want to make sure that we're bringing issues to the table as tensions, as ways that our expertise or our stakeholders need us to think differently than, than how others are thinking about the problem. We need to be really careful to avoid that friction where we don't listen we don't change our perspective based on what the other person is saying. We just kind of dig in. That's, that's the worst.
0: Yeah. I found myself nodding a lot and I bet our <laughs> listeners would be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Can you share a tip or two for how to stay in that tension or how to handle the tension in the respectful way and make it productive and not falling into the, the friction category that you talked about?
1: Yeah. One way is just to call it. So if somebody is staining something, like maybe you're, the sales guy, and you're interacting with an operations person, those two functions are supposed to be intention. I always say, if you find an organization where sales and operations aren't intention, sell your shares because that business is going nowhere. So if I'm the salesperson, I know that my job is to really fight for a differentiated product, something that's going to really work for my specific customer. I don't want that off the shelf thing. I I really want to fight to make our products flexible and our solutions work and tailor them. But as the operations person is speaking, they have a completely opposite perspective. They actually wish it was the exact same solution for every customer, because then it could be more standardized, more efficient, right? And so one of the things I can do is I can just highlight that. So when I say that I think we need to introduce a new line... The reason I'm saying that is I'm really thinking about how many of our smaller grocery retailers we're not serving with the kinds of packages we do for the big box stores. So right then and there, you've raised the issue, not as you're wrong, but as here's how I'm thinking about it. You're you're actually calling out how your stakeholder is a little bit different. And if you really wanna make it productive, you know, how could we optimize a solution that kind of works for not just our big box customers but our small customers but i know it's important that we also don't add so much cost or or uh, the need to have all new packaging on the line so you know where could we go with that and and when you bring tension to the conversation in a in a way like that that's calling out where you're coming from that's recognizing in advance that the other person is going to have a different perspective and when you're kind of encouraging them as allies to problem solve with you. Most people don't even recognize this as conflict. It, it just, it feels like problem solving and that's how you know you're doing it right.
0: I love that. And I think, you know, we all have these challenges that we face. And if you look at it as problem solving, that's a great way to approach it. But if someone is struggling within their team, is there a place that they can usually start with to help resolve or work through this? Like, is there a standard place to kind of begin working through this?
1: Yeah, I tend to believe in authenticity and vulnerability. So if that's the case, if say you're struggling with one person on the team, I would use an email to give them a heads up and say, I'm I'm really struggling. Um, I wasn't sure how to interpret your comments during the meeting this morning. And I'd love a few minutes to chat. So it's really helpful to give somebody a heads up that you want to talk to them. Otherwise, if you just sort of, pop by their desk or jump into a zoom call and say like, that was really inappropriate. What you said this morning, they're going to feel ambushed. Right. And as humans, we know that when we feel ambushed, we'd get that fight, flight, or freeze response. None of which is going to be constructive. So a quick heads up email that allows the person to go, oh, I thought this morning's conversation was totally fine. Or I wonder what they're thinking about, or maybe just let me check in with one other person about how my comments landed in case I was off base. So a heads up is really great. And then just starting with vulnerability. So I would often say things like, so in the meeting this morning, when I was presenting and you turned off your camera, I started telling myself all sorts of stories about how you weren't interested or how you didn't like this work. And I thought before I turned that into a full novel that I should give you a call, (laughs) just find out what was actually going on. So just something simple like that. And, And things can be hurtful. And we can still approach them in a way that just with our tone and our body, like you heard in how I said that, that it was okay. It's okay. You know, I was hurt. I take responsibility for that. I would actually like to know what was really going on. So we can have these conversations being vulnerable, but but being vulnerable in a way where you take accountability for, I want to know what was going on. If there's something I need to do differently, I want to know that. So that heads up then you know going first and and talking objectively about what the person did talking subjectively about how that landed with you then inviting them into a dialogue you know how are you thinking about my presentation what was going on for you and if the answer is oh my goodness my dog had just gone to town on a pillow right behind me and i <laughs> you know i had to turn off the camera cuz i didn't want anyone to see then all of a sudden you realize the story you were telling yourself is was kooky, or they may say, you know, I just, I, I really don't agree with you. I'm thinking about this from the operations perspective. When you started talking about all different packaging, uh, all I could think about was how many more lines we were going to need, how much that was going to cost, how it would increase our scrap, and, and maybe you get that there actually was something beneath that, and and you can, so you could say something even like, you know what, I'm glad you're saying that now, you know. How could in future, how could we get that on the table in the meeting or so those sorts of things. So a a heads up, be objective about them and subjective about you. And then finally, open it up, make it clear that you're actually looking to understand their truth, not just to share your truth. So that can really create a a much different breakthrough conversation uh, if you're struggling with somebody.
0: Yeah, that was a great um, example. And then really clarity on how people can move forward with that information. So before we finish up today, you have a book. Tell us a little bit about what people will find in that book and why they
1: want to read it. Yeah. So I have a book called The Good Fight. Use productive conflict to get your team and your organization back on track. And it's really two books or it's, it's for two people. So I always say it's the fight book for people who, like me, are really conflict avoidant. I wrote the book because I needed to learn the lessons of why conflict is important. So I say that book is a book that teaches people like me that some things are worth fighting for. And it helps you understand your own baggage about conflict. It helps you get a new and healthier mindset. It helps you build your skills. The other book is the good book, which is that some people love a fight but they don't have a good fight. They just love the conflict. They, they love the thrill of the debate and the gotcha and the touche, and they don't understand the collateral damage that that kind of unhealthy conflict is having on their team and probably on their reputation. So for those people, this is a book that teaches you, you don't need to know the value of conflict. You already know that, but you need the skills of having conflict constructively, and you need the, the third section, which is called the conflict habit. Which is how we learn to make our conflict much, much, much lower impact by making it higher frequency. So it's two books in one, but uh, everyone says it. It reads like somebody commented on LinkedIn last week. It's like surprisingly entertaining. <laughs> so That made me feel good. There's a spoonful yeah. of sugar to help the medicine go down.
0: Absolutely. Well, you've shared a lot of great information today, and obviously, your book would be a fantastic resource for probably just about anyone listening. So. Any final thoughts um, that you want our listeners to take away today?
1: Yeah, I think that communication one is probably the one that if you started applying that as soon as you finish listening to, you know, with your colleagues, with your manager, with your partner, with your teenagers, (laughs) you would realize, whoa, there are so many times that I am, you know, pretending, kidding myself that I've communicated when really we haven't gotten to this point of of making the issue common. And things will get much, much, much better when you go through a few extra rounds to make sure you get there.
0: Well, oh, great, Leanne. So much uh, actionable information uh, that you shared with us today. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, my pleasure, Sarah. Thanks so much for the opportunity.
0: Thank you again to Leanne Davey for joining us on the show. For more information on her book, The Good Fight, and to watch a recording of the episode, visit us at thereceptionist.com.